everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sage Advice Podcast with your host, Sin Sage. Hello, nice to see you again. And today, for my guest, I have Electra Rain. Hi, Electra, how are you doing? Oh, uh, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. How are you? Yay, so awesome. Uh, each day is a gift. And I love to just have my guests introduce themselves. So can you talk a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, definitely. So my name is Electra Range. Uh, I am an adult performer and director, um, originally from Chicago, now based in Las Vegas. Um, I am a performer for like really all different types of adult content. And honestly, I've participated in pretty much every legal facet of sex work there is in the US. Um, and then on top of that, um, I also am a director now. So I direct um, for my own adult site, QueerCrush.com, which is the only lesbian studio created 100% by actual queer women. Um, and then I also direct for MCTheater.com, which is like a mind control fetish website. Okay, look at this. I'm already learning things about you I didn't know. Obviously, I've, I've been doing the mind control stuff since just about day one of my work in this business. So uh, very deeply into that. Um, and yeah, so I just found out for the first time that you uh, do that too. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I've had a pretty close relationship with Henri, the owner of the site for the last few years. And actually when I um, was like thinking about starting Queer Crush and like very overwhelmed and didn't know what to do or how to do it, I had reached out to him and I was like, hey, like, can I pay you to do a consulting call about like starting your own independent studio? And he was like, no, you cannot pay me, but I am happy to hop on the phone with you. So he advised me for like two hours and it went very well. Um, and I started the site and whatever. And then he reached out to me uh, maybe six months ago. Um, and then just saying that like, he was very impressed with the work I was doing. And um, he actually lives up in Northern California. Um, they come down mm -hmm. to LA every like couple of months and do these like big shoot weekends, but they've wanted to expand shooting elsewhere for talent. They don't necessarily have as much access to. So um, that is why that is how uh, he ended up. He's like, yeah, so will you be our Vegas based director? So I've only done one for them so far, one main shoot. And then I've done a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff for them. And then Hopefully in July and August, um, I'm going to be doing a bunch more for them. I'm pretty excited about it. Awesome. I love that. So and it's it's interesting, too, because the mind control stuff is one of those fetishes that they've really kind of cracked down on uh, from, thanks to the credit cards. And so for us, like back in the day, we used to be able to say the word hypnosis. We used to be able to say hypno, hypnosis, hypnotized. Uh, and now... We can still make that content for the most part, but we have to call it mind control. We have to call it mesmerize. We have to call it magic control, like all these other things. And you cannot say the word hypnosis. Has that affected uh, that that studio or that side of um, the work somewhat. you're getting into? So fortunately, they I actually don't know which credit card processor they use, um, but since like Henri built the website himself. Um, his other job is another like non-adult tech related business. So built the website himself, uses kind of a non-standard payment processor. Um, 
and therefore has a lot more flexibility versus like I know clips for sale for example has like really cracked down on the dangling pendants and things like that Um, oh my gosh yes right Um, dangling pendants right you know I think it's gonna be so interesting in the next like 5, 10, 15 years, I think we're going to start seeing um, a lot of people who like, as part of their mind control related fetish, have this like really um, intense uh, affinity for language like magic control in a way that we've never Mm -hmm. seen. It's going to be like suddenly like mesmerism and magic control are like the hottest words you can say to a person uh, created because of the credit card companies, which is so funny. Um, But actually, they have started... um, I don't know how much about this I can share. They have the domain name already and it's a really good one, uh, but I don't know if I can share it yet. Um, they are working on like a sister spinoff site that's basically like the content is still effectively the same, but the actual like mesmerism wrapper is shot separately. So when they shoot the scenes, like the full scene with the induction and all of that will go up on regular MC theater. And then the actual, like the scene where it's just like the girls are already in a trance and giving a blowjob or whatever goes on right. this uh, new site. And it's just sort of like implied as kind of like a backup fail safe protection against exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I was going to say it's, just like a workaround they found yeah. Uh, yeah. to work with. So that's good. One thing, one of the things I love about this business is how just, you know, they're going to put more uh, of these sort of almost arbitrary restrictions on us and how, wh- how we can use our creativity. And uh, we're just going to find these workarounds because like, <laughs> you know, adult uh, entertainment has been around since cavemen could draw on walls and I don't see that ending anytime soon. Nope. <laughs> so we'll always find new ways to get the porn to the people. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, how long have you been doing um, sex work? Uh either since I was 18 or 19, depending on exactly how you want to, like what you want to classify as sex work. So I applied to shoot for kink.com on my 18th birthday. Um, I didn't actually get booked um, for any adult sites until I was 19. Um, Mm. But I, when I was still 18, I, you know, it's really interesting. I, I like really hated my body. I didn't think I was cute. The only reason I thought I even like had a chance for kink was because like, well, there can't be that many people that like want to get tied up and beaten in a warehouse. Right. And like, I was wrong. It's tons of people, but even so I was like, okay, well maybe as like a fetish performer, you know, I have more of a chance. Um, but I, I, uh, I was like, you know, like I need some extra money. I'm comfortable with nudity. Maybe there are people out there who want to like for an art class or something, they want to take pictures or draw like a regular person, not some special hot person, but just a regular person. (laughs) So I, uh, I made an account on model mayhem thinking like, who knows? And I woke up the day after my account was approved with like a hundred messages. So I started just like booking nude modeling shoots for like, $60 an hour or something ridiculous. Um, like all the time. So I started that when I was 18. (laughs) So depending on like, if you do or do not classify that as sex work, um, either when I was 18 and then when I was 19, I started shooting porn. Okay. So personally, yes, that's definitely sex work. Uh, basically I feel like even if you are just doing sort of nude art modeling and I, I'm, absolutely positive there will be a ton of nude art models who say no that is not sex work right and i'm like 
okay, you, you could have that if you want to. But as right. far as I'm concerned, if you're getting naked, even if it's just art, like it's a form of Definitely. sex work. Definitely. And, you know, there were some shoots, like my very, 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 very first nude shoot was very like classical fine art and playing with light and shadows and like yes. macro photos were like, maybe it's my thigh, but it's not even obvious that it's a thigh or whatever. But my mm -hmm. second shoot, was with the at the time Chicago-based photographer for the Suicide Girls and it was the um, same like type of like yes this is art it's not maybe not literally porn but it is very much intended to be sexy it is absolutely yes. sexy art and so I think there you have an even harder time arguing like well no it's not sex totally work, right because it clearly was deliberately sexy yeah and you know, even with those more mm, shadow and light and maybe they're black and white and, you know, it's bodyscapes and things like that. Um, but I still refer to that as erotic art. It doesn't make it any less art, but it doesn't make it any less erotic. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of us, you know, got our start uh, doing a lot of those types of shoots and have you ever done live nude art modeling for um, like drawing, life drawing classes? No, because with my ADHD, and in fact, you maybe have already picked up on this, I cannot sit still that long. So I have <laughs> done, I've done reference for oil paintings, but where he took the photos of me to then use yes. as a reference for the oil paintings, I did not actually have to sit the whole entire time. Yeah, it can be it can be a lot. I've only done that one time, I believe. And it was also sort of like a bondage theme. That's fine. So I'd be like tied up in a position and then like hold it. And then two, you know, two minutes later, I'm like, oh, shit, I should not have held this position. Right. And so I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you look at something and you think, oh, super easy. And yeah. then you do it and you're like, wow, this yeah. is way more difficult than I thought. Yeah. I do Pilates four days a week. So I actually have that same mental experience all the time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good for you. Hell yeah. Cool. So. So that's, that's essentially how you got started a little bit, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah. And what uh, I, I think for so many of us who are who really love what we do, there's always this drive or this passion to want to uh, get that sustainable longevity and like make uh, a site for ourselves that we own um, and can, you know, put out content and stuff. So at which point did you realize that's the direction you wanted to take things? Great question. Um, how's it going? It yeah. It, so it's been about a year, uh, actually about almost exactly a year ago, I approached my videographer business partner and I was like, hey, I have an idea and I need your help. Um, we launched last September. We started like behind the scenes work for the project in June of last year and we started filming in July. So that's when you and I first met also. Um, yes. Spoiler <laughs> for those at home who don't already know this, the very first scene for Queer Crush was me and the wonderful Sin Sage. So that was, that was the first one ever? Yeah, it was the first one ever. It was the first oh one. My god. Oh my god. One, which is why we Yay. didn't know to do the Polaroids. If anybody's listening who <laughs> is a fan of Queer Crush, uh, you have seen me post about the Polaroids all the time. Uh, confession, the Polaroid of me and Sin is actually staged. She came back later to pick <laughs> something up from me and I was like, wait, we started with scene two, we started doing this thing. So we have Polaroids for everybody else. Please take a Polaroid with me. And that's how we ended up with that one. Um, Absolutely. So, where did the site come from? Um, I, to be honest, I, my entire adult career has been 
very much an uphill battle. It has been me fighting to get booked, fighting to get an agent to work with me, fighting to make things happen, fighting to get the strip club to hire me, which is always a weird one because Uh, every time a club has ever hired me, I go on to be one of their top earners, but it's super hard for me to actually get hired a lot of the time. Uh, Okay. We're going to, we're coming back to that. Okay. Okay. Put a pin in it. Putting a pin in it. About a year and a half ago, shortly after I moved to Vegas, I was dancing at the strip club and the owner was really into me. And he is, in fact, the reason I'm not allowed to work there anymore is because I wouldn't marry him, which is a little ridiculous. Uh, And I was so polite about it too. And like up front, I did not lead him on. Anyway, um, before (laughs) the drama of him point blank being like, I want you to marry me, et cetera. He had said, he's like, you know, I've wanted to invest in an adult site, blah, blah, blah. And he's got big money and he's talking about, investing and I'm like okay well that could be cool so I started researching how to do it and then I was like nope going into business with this guy is going to be super toxic and horrible and I very politely told him I didn't say like because you suck I was just like yeah (laughs) you know what I think um not a great fit I don't think it would be a good idea for us to go into business right now but like thank you anyway whatever so then a few months later last spring I was really struggling I was like you know what I moved out here for work but I'm not getting nearly the kind of work I thought I would be after I moved. And I'm And tired. where did did you move from Chicago to Vegas directly yes. yeah, yeah, for work? Correct. Okay. Yep. Which is so funny because I just moved to the, the Chicago opposite, area. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you it's a little different. You're a lot more established and you do no, a no. lot more production of your own. So For sure, for sure, for sure. Yes. For sure. Um, <laughs> I so I I but I was really struggling. I was like, I love this industry, like I really don't want to go back to using my degree and having an office job and blah, 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 if I don't have to. Um, I love the amount of time I get to spend with my horse. I love the people I get to meet. Like, oh, what am I going to do? And I thought back and I was like, well, I did do that research on starting my own site, but like, eh, can I do it without an investor? And Elevated X had just started uh, Elevated X Complete, which is like a all-in-one, like they handle, they set up your hosting and your payment processor and all this stuff in exchange for like a rev share model. But it's still, yeah. like it's still your own site. You own your customer data. You don't have the same types of restrictions or anything like OnlyFans does or whatever. Right, yeah. So I looked into it more. And then the other motivation specifically for Queer Crush is like, okay, so from a business standpoint, I love that I get to say, like selfishly, I love that I get to say like, yeah, I'm actually the creator and director for the only lesbian studio made 100% by actual sapphic people. But like- yes. Like, as actually just, like, a member of the community, what the fuck? Like, it was 2022 and the job was open? That's horrible. Like, that's awful. So, um, recognizing my my wife, um, like, loves the idea of porn, but has never been able to, like, consistently find content that appeals to her and was made for her. And I, and I just, I never... I, I feel like most lesbian porn, now granted there are some creators, you being one of them, that aren't like this, but the vast majority <laughs> of lesbian porn that you see is either going to be like, they want like natural, authentic passion a la Girlfriends films. So it's a lot of like open mouth kissing and like soft lighting and don't you dare bring a dildo onto this set, like the evil dildo or whatever, or it's like brazzers and five minutes before the scene started they were like by the way use this strap on and they 
possibly never used a strap on at all. Certainly never used that strap on. And yeah. it's just like ram each other as hard as you can. Neither of which is very <laughs> realistic. Most of the queer women I know use toys and gear all the time, but also like have a lot of opinions about them. Right. Yes. Um, yes. So I was like, okay, I want to make content that looks like the sex I have in my personal life. That like me and my yeah. friends in our personal life. I want to make content that can appeal to my wife and people like her. Uh, I yes. want to make something I'm actually proud of. Like when I first learned about the San Francisco Indie Porn Film Festival, I was like, oh, I should submit something. And I looked at my catalog and I was like, none of this deserves to be submitted at all. It was highly oh. optimized. It was just like OnlyFans stuff, like make as yes. much money as fast as possible. Those were the requests I got. It's not like yeah. the content the community deserved. So I wanted to make something right. I'm proud of. And like, if I'm being honest, I also wanted to not be so completely broke all the time, which the site is not, <laughs> I will say, we're doing really, really well for eight months old or whatever. Um, oh my gosh, yes. It takes years to get yeah, established. Yes, yeah. and we are just a little bit more than breaking even. Like profitable Good. would probably be too, like makes it sound too exciting, but we do okay. cover all of our expenses and that's a huge yeah. deal in eight months. Like that's really yes, exciting. It is. It really is. And I mean, you just, again, eight months, like right. wait until it's been three years yes. and it's just thriving and people are contacting you like, like you were contacting other studios, you know, yeah. and they're like, can we work for you? Like, Actually, one of the most flattering things about this process so far is we actually do get tons and tons. I get probably two to three applications every day from people yes. who want to work for us, um, oh which my God, is yes. so exciting and, and convenient because, you know, we're <laughs> not concerned about like, oh, well, we only want to shoot big names. Like, fuck that. We shoot, no, like, yes, no. big name stars are helpful in the beginning to help, like, grow brand awareness. But I don't, sure. my only requirements for shooting for us are you have to self-identify as a queer woman or a sapphic non-binary person. And I'm not going to, like, check your, I'm not going to, like, stalk you online and be like, well, are you, act like, you just tell me that you are and I believe you. Um, yes. You have to obviously want to do the site. You have to be willing to undergo industry standard testing and you have to already be naked online with face somewhere. You don't necessarily right. have to be like, my whole job is porn. It could be like, I just have a solo OnlyFans, but I'm interested in sharing sure. with another girl. Or even I post on FetLife and Reddit a lot. It's not really a yeah. job for me, but I just, I don't want to be the reason that somebody takes that first step, you know, because there's so many risks involved totally. and it doesn't go away. And I, so I don't want to be the reason that someone does that. But if you are already publicly naked with face, and yes. you are queer and you'll do testing and you want to do the website. That's all it takes for me. We'll find yeah. you a partner that wants to work with you. And, or if you have someone you want to work with, that's even better. That's my favorite yes. when people are like, yes, me and this yes. person want to do these things. Great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause it was kind of like the second scene that I did with you was yeah. uh, with teeny steel, teeny steel. Yeah. And it did seem like she was more kind of, just had her own OnlyFans at, at first? Yeah, she's a lot newer, um, mostly just does like OnlyFans and similar. Um, she had shot mm -hmm. with other people before um, and yeah. we had shot her once before. We do have a couple oh, cool. of scenes where one of the performers, um, they're like, yeah, like I've been making solo content online for a couple years now, but I've never made a sex video with another person, but I would like to. And so we got to yeah. produce the first one of those and that was cool. Um, but, that's that's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. But yes, audience for context. So scene number one for Queer Crush was me and Sim. 
then a little while later, maybe 15 scenes in or so, uh, I shot a friend of mine from a strip club that I worked at um, and another performer. And we do these yeah. little pre-scene interviews. And one of the questions uh, we ask, and, and we pre-ask people if they're okay with talking about this so no one's caught off guard on camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the questions we like to ask is, how and when did you realize you were queer? And uh, Teeny said, since age, just like hands down 100%, like as a teenager, since age was her queer awakening. And I'm like, you know, oh my God, I actually know her. So let me just ask. And I was able to get them together to do a sequel or like a second scene for each of them. It was very cool. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'm not to toot my own horn or anything, but I do get a lot of messages about women saying you were my queer awakening. And I'm oh, just yeah. like, ah, like, could I money is nice and it's nice to be able to make a living, but like the most fulfilling stuff is hearing those things. So it's either like if a someone I just delivered a custom video to says something like, that's the best custom video I've ever gotten. Yeah. Extremely fulfilling. And if a, a human says watching you and seeing your work and that's what made me realize I was queer and watching, you know, your personality made me want to come out of the closet and want to be more myself and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just that, that's the peak. I mean, yeah. I'm going to die. There's not going to be any money left over, but like if I've made a difference in anybody's life in that way, like that's, that's the business right there. That's what absolutely. I get a fair number of guys that reach out to me that are like, yeah, I, you know, I always thought that like, if you're a man, like there's no such thing as a bisexual man, right? And like, I like <laughs> girls, so that must be like the whole story. But because of the amount of queer content I put out there and by threesomes and how just like loud I am about like, everybody can be bisexual if you want to be. Uh, yes. I've had like a significant number of guys either message me or come up to me at an event or something and say like, hey, I realized I was bisexual because of you. And that is like such a cool and exciting feeling. Yes. Oh my God. I get it. So I love hearing that, that from you too. Um, and, and it does feel like in the past, you know, five, six years, like more and more people and especially young people, especially people who are coming out as like, you know, 18 to 25 and they're just realizing these things about themselves and like not feeling like they have to be so, um, like secretive about it or like in the closet about it, like they can actually explore whether it's their sexuality or their gender on the spectrum. And just, you know, maybe it doesn't forever end up this way. Uh, just having your mind open to being able to just uh, feel those things and feel them out yeah. and do it in a, for a public facing way or just a way where you're not hiding it. Like that's such a massive shift uh, for yeah. at least American society. So I'm excited about it and I'm trying to celebrate it and focus on that celebration. <laughs> Yay. So I, I'm so happy to hear all this about your site and everything that's going on. And like, I have no doubt it's going to be like even more successful, wildly successful. Thank you. Um, we are uh, very stoked about that. We did actually just have a scene selected for the San Francisco Porn Film Festival, which is like such an honor no matter what, but is especially an honor considering like that is was part of my motivation to make the site. I didn't think it would happen in our first year. Like, yeah, I submitted a few scenes to be considered, but I didn't like really right. think anything would come of it. And actually, yes, they are getting me the information about how to get the badges for me and my wife and our videographer. And I have to send them all this documentation. And uh, I just had to get quotes from my performers to put out a press release. Like, it's yes. very exciting. Oh my God, so cool. So cool. So I, I do, I just love that you know, you've brought another 
a queer centered company into the into the zeitgeist of porn here because you know for me for a, a long time in the earlier years when I was doing all of this really heavy but like girlfriend style sweetheart style lesbian stuff and I was feeling very satisfied but not like super validated about my queerness yeah. and you know working with a lot of other sort of um just com companies that were very male gazy. So I don't think sweetheart and, and girlfriends and those types of companies are, are designed for male gaze, but there are some sites that definitely are, and they want the girl, girl stuff. And when I was hired to go work for them and they're like, Oh, overly telling me what I need to do. And at this point I was pretty established and just, let me do what I do and it'll be great. Um, and they'd be like, no, no, we have to have some penetration. So can you like bend over? She could finger you from behind. And I'm like, I was so frustrated by that. I was like, this is stupid though. Right. Right. <laughs> and they're like, but, but we need this for like our, you know, uh, consumers. And, and yeah. I, I, I get that, but it's, it was like stifling for me. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of that is still around. Like we are not yeah. on like we have a Pornhub studio account, but I don't remember the names for everything, but we don't have yeah. like the highest rev share model or whatever, because in order yeah. to do so, we would need to license them full scenes up to and including orgasm. And I asked them, cause I don't like, we don't fake anything for our sites. We don't need, I, I tell everybody before it starts as I have like a whole speech that I do about like the site, blah, blah, blah. And part of yes. my speech is I would much rather have a scene where everybody has a good time, but nobody comes versus a scene that's full of fake orgasms. And I asked yeah. him, I was like, what if it really is the full scene? There's sex and there's nudity and all that. And there just aren't orgasms. It's not that it was cut out because what they're doing is they don't want you to be like, yeah, here's the full scene. Just kidding. Go buy it on our website to see the cum shot. I'm like, well, it right. really, truly is the full scene. It's just that there weren't necessarily orgasms in it or there wasn't necessarily penetration in this one. And they're like, yeah, it's yeah. Not, it doesn't qualify. So we can't be that yeah. kind of studio. It's super. <sighs> yeah. Well, it's just because Pornhub, you know, as huge and ubiquitous as it is, it's still to me, that's it's just the most mainstream of mainstream possible. And there are all these other like uh, videos being posted up there by, you know, non-mainstream people, but it's just not, right. it doesn't have the backing of Pornhub. It doesn't have the popularity. And it just goes back to all this stuff that I always see too about people talking about porn in general. And they're like, porn is like this and porn is like that. And it's always like, all the vulvas are these perfect, pretty pink little right. doodads. And I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? Like, I'm like, the only porn you're seeing is that front page of Pornhub bullshit. And like, I want to tell people that there is queer porn being made for queer people yeah. with, and, and with, t and like tons of different types of vulvas and dicks and body parts. And, yes. you know, and I'm just like, I've never, you know, been booked for a gig and they're like, but hold on a second. We have to look at your vulva and your b-hole before we for sure hire you. It's that right. has I, I have never a, happened. Uh, I have Mike Adriano takes butthole pictures as part of the go see. That's a pretty specific situation. But I've never yeah. had anyone be like, hang on, we need to see your vulva before we can exactly. Cast you. No, no. It's pretty much like you, you know these are bodies and people are fucking and like, that's what porn's about. But, um, but stuff that gets pushed to the top is like of Pornhub is yeah. always going to be that most, what I consider kind of bland and basic, uh, boy, yeah. girl, like just, 
uh, certain yeah. type of bodies and certain and type of I don't looks. even think it represents popularity. Like it's not even like Me that's neither. what sells or performs the best. It's those are the no. studios that have that business relationship with Pornhub that provides a boost to views. Like I see it even with yes. our like because we are signed up as a studio account, anything I post on the Queer Crush Pornhub is gonna get somewhat of an algorithm boost compared to something I just post on my model account. That's not to say right. it's up there with like if browsers upload something, but right. clearly like I have even been able to see like, ah, I guess there are different tiers here based off the business relationship. Yep. And that, and that's just how things are now on yeah. the internet in general, it feels like, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're out here doing stuff. You, you've got your site. We've got Courtney Trouble and Trouble Films. And yeah. that's always been a Bay Area based, like, full spectrum of queerness. I mean, you get all different um, sexualities and gender identities. And I love that. And uh, body shapes and styles and colors and ethnicities. And it's just great. And then, of course, like the the crash pad is I'm a pretty shooting for classic. Them tomorrow, literally tomorrow, I finally get to shoot for crash pad. I've been applying to oh shoot for crash pad for almost eight years, and it's finally happening tomorrow. Yes, it happened for me one time, Ooh. and then I think that they just kind of want to highlight a particular type of performer. I think also they they do stick with people in the Bay Area first yeah. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. reach out. So are you flying out there? Or yeah, are they going to be out there anyway um, for okay. something else. It wasn't the only reason I finally got them to say yes was I was like, hey, me and this performer that I do have a crush on are going to be there these dates anyway we have yeah. availability on these two days here i am giving yeah. you two specific days and i already have a partner please 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 and they were like okay yes we can offer you this time slot but you need to have yeah you need to be there or not not even like well i live in vegas but i'm happy to come up there they're not going to shoot you it's got to be no. i'm going to be there and i have a partner and then you yep. have a chance Yep. Then they don't have to do anything except turn on the cameras. So. Yes. Yes. And like, I get it. You know, when people apply, especially the, these like newer or more like small following performers reach out and they're like, yeah, and I'm happy to work with anyone. It is a lot more work to find, especially because I like crash pad. I only want to shoot like actual chemistry. I am not in the business yeah. of just throwing two people together because they look hot and they'll make a scene happen. I don't know. So yeah. yeah, it is a lot more work for me to have them fill out surveys and think like, hmm, okay, well, these people seem compatible. <laughs> I will see, do they want this? Does it seem like a good fit? Do they know? Okay, well, it is way more work. It's so much easier when someone's like, hi, yeah, me and my friend would like to yeah. do, or me and my girlfriend, my wife, would like to do this together. But also, like, I'm willing to put in the work about it. And maybe that'll change when my site is more than eight months old. Who knows? But yeah. For now I am. <laughs> yeah, totally. Cool. So I want to uh, ask you a little bit about your introduction to adult entertainment, period. Sure. So when when was the first time that you discovered something that was sexual, like as far as entertainment magazine or porn or, or whatever it is? You know, I don't I don't necessarily remember the timeline because there was a situation where I found a dildo of my mom's and there was a situation where I found the sex toy box of my mom's. Um, oh, wow. That may have come after when I discovered porn. And this is kind of what like led me to um, my this is usually I tell this as part of my like, how did I end up in the industry? story? Because like, how did I come to know before my 18th birthday that I was going to apply to Kink.com on my 18th birthday? In <laughs> fifth grade. We're all 
sexual a little bit right. before we turn 18. Totally. So in fifth grade, a friend and I thought that it would be really funny to go to boobs.com. We're like, oh, like what is going to be there at boobs.com? Like we did not know about porn. We only kind of understood sex. We're like, oh, yeah, we're going to go to boobs.com. It's going to be so silly and hilarious. Yeah. Um, yes. So at the time, it isn't anymore, but at the time, it was a directory of affiliate links linking to various different oh. websites. And what okay. happened to be on the homepage that day was hogtied kink.com's rope bondage site. And so we go to okay. boobs.com and my friend, she's like, oh, ew, gross, what? And I'm like, oh, ew, gross, what? Yep. And we leave yep. boobs.com. And of course, privately later, I went back to boobs.com and clicked on some links. Uh, and I was like, what? Like, you know, this looks surprisingly like the stuff I imagine in my head when I do that weird wiggling thing that I'm only just yes. starting to realize might be masturbating, but like I'm 11, so I don't really get it or whatever. <laughs> and I kept coming back to it time and time again. And then I was like, oh my God, something must be wrong with me. First of all, is this a porn addiction? And no, it was simply porn interest. Um, and then yeah. also like I, these women are being like tortured. Like what is wrong with me? Even though, Like I'm imagining myself as the torch e not the torturer but of like course. what is wrong Same. with me that like i like seeing them tortured and then finally one day yeah. i saw um one of the exit interviews and yeah. the like 2257 compliance statement all models blah mm -hmm. blah 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 and i was like wait mm -hmm. these are paid models who would want to do a thing like that wait i'm someone who would want to do a thing like that and i remember this moment like really clearly when i re like realized like that means there's other people like me out there and it was this yes. like really significant moment and i'm so thankful that it happened honestly at such a young age i was probably 12 by the time i put all this together um yeah it was like integral for me accepting myself as a sexual person and then by extension uh, accepting myself broadly and so that was my like first early introduction and from there I was like I want to do this like number one kink is expensive and requires in at least the things I like a lot of equipment and knowledge and safety so it yes. kind of seems like getting paid to have all my dreams come true and number two just like <laughs> I want to give back to and I want to be a part of this thing that actually is like so important for me in understanding and accepting myself. So that's how it started. Oh my God. I loved everything you just said <laughs> and like related on so many levels. Yeah. Um, boobs.com. Boobs I, that kicks, that, that is hilarious. Like every time you said it, it made me want to laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what year do you think that was? Uh, 2007, maybe roughly. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. But I so think I'm now curious. A, a friend of mine told me recently, like the last friend I told that story to, that it's actually a streammate affiliate now. Oh, it totally is. Yeah, I just went to boobs.com and this is <laughs> definitely actually streammate. It just says boobs.com on top. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so when you found the dildo or the box of porn of uh, toys specifically, like, did you know? Did you understand what you were looking at there? Um, definitely by the time I found the box of toys. And actually, okay. this is so weird, but I'm going to say it. Um, my yes. mom had in, it was like a, probably like a 24 foot tall, like lock box. Like, like, I guess technically a safe. 24 inches. Yeah. Inches tall. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. 24 <laughs> inches, like two feet tall lock box in her closet, like behind her dress pants. Uh, and I did have permission to be in the closet and I don't know why it was open. I didn't like pick the lock. It was open. 
But one of the things that was in there was one of those like bondage harnesses that's like leather and there's like chains or whatever on it. And it was really cute. I remember exactly what it looks like. And I've always wanted (laughs) something like that. But the problem is I've never been able to find one that's nearly as cool looking as the one my mom had. And I am not going out there and getting the same one my mom had. No, thank you. So um, you're like, Calling up your mom. Hey, mom. So that one thing from that really long time ago, I, I did see it. Uh, where did you get that? God, she'd probably just be like, you know what? I don't even use it anymore. You can have it. You can have it. No. Yeah. Um, it, it might be a line too far. I right. Right. No, I remember um, when I found just the dildo, which definitely happened first. I just don't know when relative to the whole boobs.com saga. I was really like... I don't know, like, I think I knew what it was, but I was so uncomfortable. And I even remember, like, I was supposed to be in my town's 4th of July parade that day. And I remember being like, I don't feel well. I don't think, and I, like, I skipped the parade and I just, like, stayed home because it was, like, too much information to process. And I think part of what was weird for me, too, is that, like, my parents, at the time, my parents were somewhat recently divorced, like within probably a year or two. Um, okay. And because like, obviously, I knew my parents had had sex, like I exist and I have a sister, like I know it. Right. Happened. But to yeah. be like, oh, my mom has this boyfriend that I had like kind of mixed feelings about. Um, and mm-hmm. not that a dildo means you're having sex with your boyfriend, but also like my adult <laughs> mom was definitely having sex with her boyfriend. So it just like made me think about it in ways I wasn't like quite ready for, you know. Yeah, um, totally. Totally understandable. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's when you first uh, realized that, that you were masturbating. Was it like wiggling on furniture? Was it like wiggling on your fist? Uh, palm, like heel of the hand, heel mm-hmm. of the hand. Mm-hmm. And I would always do it face down. So like yes. gravity is really helping, which was great, mm-hmm. except that now it still means I need like an excessive amount of pressure for anything to really work at all. Oh, that's great news to hear. And um, next time we work together, I have that stored in my bank. Um, cool. <laughs> but I, I mean, I can relate to that a little bit, like the way that I started masturbating well, I mean, like the first time I was like climbing this, I didn't know it was masturbation by any right. means. I just knew when I climbed the swing set poles to get to the top, by the time I reached the top, like it felt amazing. Oh. <laughs> but then I just started exploring myself, I guess, pr- probably around age like eight. Yeah. Didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, had the general understanding that it was somehow, quote unquote, shameful. Yeah, or, I, know, I had no idea what it was or why I was doing it. And I don't remember yeah. how I found it at all. I know it was likely before first grade, but I can't pinpoint it yeah. any more specifically than that. Uh, it was just yeah. sort of this thing I had always done. But something inside me was like do not tell others, do not share with others. This is a private yep. wiggling that we do. Private wiggling, yes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like it's the same because the way that I started doing it um, at that age with my own hand, and then by the time I reached partnered sex and I was like, w- with men anyways, uh, and I was like, why is this? Like, it feels great, but but like, it's not that feeling that I get when I'm by myself. Right. And I remember the first time that I had sex with someone who was my boyfriend uh, for a period of time. And I just 
we did it. We were doing it like kind of sideways anyway. Yeah. And I just like lifted my leg up and put my hand on there. And, uh, and I got, I was like, Oh, so <laughs> I do, I do need that right. now. Um, and I also think that for the most part, like I like a deep rumbly vibration to get me there. And it, it's, and I, I do kind of feel like it, maybe it has to do with that from back when I was a kid, it's yeah. hard to know all yeah. of the reasons of like why we come the way we do and what we need and where our head has to be and where our body has to be and all these other things. Yes. And you add to that for me that um, I, so I was born with a condition called vestibulitis. It's a type of vulvodynia, but I didn't know that I had it until yeah. I started having sex and it would hurt no. for hours and hours and hours afterwards. Like actually during sex was usually not particularly painful. It wasn't particularly good either, which was a bummer right. because like I really liked my boyfriend. He's actually still a really good friend of mine to this day. He and his girlfriend and me and my wife just went camping a couple weeks ago. Um, like Yay. I really liked my boyfriend and we tried all the like use lube and do foreplay like all the things you're supposed to do and like I was the like more sexually aggressive person like this was not yeah. like a and being pressured situation like I right. wanted this and I wanted it to yes. feel good it was so upsetting that not only did it not feel good it also hurt um and I ended up yeah I always just thought like uh like vaginas hurt like people talk about how much having yeah. and I I had tailbone pain like all my life growing up but I never knew what it was and it turns out it was from riding my bike with my tailbone like curled under me to put pressure mm -hmm. further back so I wasn't leaning on my crotch because any amount of pressure was like super uncomfortable. Um, wow. So yeah, I, I started pelvic floor physical therapy at 14 um, and I ended wow. up having surgery at 16 that radically changed my life. There is no way I could be a sex worker or use tampons for that matter had I not had a vestibulectomy at 16. Um, but wow. even still, and, and I kind of thought like, so surgery resolved about 80% of my pain. To this day, I'm mm -hmm. not, it's not perfect, but it is like completely different world of dealing with things. Yeah. It's mostly just like, if you don't touch me like around the urethra zone, like I'm pretty much good. I get a little bit oh. of stinginess in that like you're between the urethra and the clit, like under the clit too, that yep. yeah, it gets kind of stingy yep. in there. Otherwise, I'm pretty much okay 95% of the time. But I actually, I'm having a hysterectomy two weeks from today um, because I, I've had pelvic floor, like muscular dysfunction since all of this started, actually probably yeah. my whole life. And we yeah. thought it was just like leftover from having had 16 years of pain in my vulva region and like yeah. clenching and dealing with it. But I've done yeah. like so much pelvic PT. And last year I finally found a doctor who would do pelvic floor trigger point injections. It's pretty hard to find a doctor who will put a needle inside of your vagina, but I found one. Oh and yeah. Amazing. Oh, and he God. knows about, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, like a connective tissue disorder. He like understands yep. EDS. He was like, great doctor. So yeah, I went to see him. Uh, and I was like, I want to do pelvic floor trigger point injections. And we talked in his office for a good hour or so about like my whole history. And I brought all my medical records and he's like, you sound like a great candidate. Let's do an exam. So we go into the exam yeah. room and he takes a look at me and he's like, I need to do an ultrasound. I'm like what? <laughs> like that's not related. Like what? I'm like, okay, go ahead. But what? So he does an ultrasound yeah. and I knew that because I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, I would almost certainly end up at some point with pelvic organ prolapse. My physical therapist had briefed me about this. I knew at some point it would happen. I did not know 
that at age 26, having never had kids, I'm, I got sterilized at 22, I already Yay. have stage two pelvic organ prolapse. So, oh my gosh. I, yeah. So at that appointment, my doctor said to me, like, I just want you, you know, it's not going to kill you. Like if you can handle dealing, like if it's not causing really bad symptoms, you don't have to do anything right now. Just be prepared in the next three to five years, you may want to consider a hysterectomy. And if I didn't have EDS, there's a more conservative procedure they can try to do that's like a ligament tightening procedure, but I have faulty mm -hmm. connective tissue anyway. So it yep. would have just, he's like, if you're committed to keeping your uterus, and I'm like, I'm not. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm already starting, and I kept my IUD because I haven't had a period since I was 17. I am not going back to that now that I don't need it to tell me I'm not pregnant. I know I'm not pregnant. Right. I don't have fallopian tubes. Um, yeah. So he's like, okay, next three to five years, yes, you can do the trigger point injections. So I schedule my trigger point injections. I do the trigger point injections. Unfortunately, they did absolutely nothing. Like no weird uh, side effects or anything, but literally nothing. Right. And I went back to the doctor and I was like, man, like I wanted these for years. I really thought they'd work. And he did some more poking around and he did another ultrasound. And what he yeah. determined is uh, my obturator internus and levator ani on both sides, but especially mm -hmm. the right side, are getting pinned up against my actual bone from my uterus trying to escape. So we can't yeah. calm down because we haven't actually fixed the thing that's making them spasm. So yep. my hysterectomy is in two weeks. But what I've oh my learned gosh. since I got the hysterectomy on the books is a really common symptom of pelvic organ prolapse is pelvic dullness, which is something I've always had my whole life. And I was just like, like part of why I'm really good at porn is that I actually have like relatively low feeling, especially inside my vagina. Like you can put wow. the biggest dick in there because a lot of times I can't even really tell what's going on anyway. Um, so it's wow. easy for me to just be like, yeah, okay, do whatever. So yeah. I am actually excited to have heard that like, I, like I always just kind of thought like, yeah, that's how it is. I don't have a lot of sensation, I guess. Uh, and it turns out that is maybe not just how it's always going to be. And I, like, I don't know the whole, the future has a lot of possibilities that are very exciting. Yeah. Because not only are we fixing this problem, that also means I will no longer have an IUD. And I, like yeah. I said, I've had an IUD since I was 17. And before that I was on birth control since I was 13. So it's yeah. been 13 and a half, you know, 13 years that I've had some sort of external hormone regulation going into my body. Yes. So not only yes. am I taking out my uterus and hopefully fi fixing this muscle problem, I'm also about mm -hmm. to be controlling my own hormones for the first time in literally half my life, the first time in my post-pubescent life. Uh, right, so yeah. we're going to see. I have some feeling, a feeling that my whole body and like ex physical experience of sex is possibly about to change, and I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, well, I definitely hope that for you. Uh, so I'm curious about that. That's the only thing about a hysterectomy versus getting a tubal ligation. Like I got, I got my tubes tied mm -hmm. and all good. So yeah, I also haven't had hormones since I got my IUD taken out. Like, and it's pretty nice. Um, but I thought that part of getting a hysterectomy kind of meant that you were sort of sent into somewhat of an early menopause yeah, reaction so unless is, you take hormones. Like you still have to take hormones, yeah, right? That is often the case. Um, I'm mm -hmm. keeping my ovaries. So they're taking okay. my uterus, they're taking my cervix, and they would be taking my fallopian tubes except that I already had my fallopian tubes completely removed uh, in 2019. Right. But they are leaving nah. my ovaries unless they find something alarming with them, but we don't expect okay. any reason. And that way yeah. my body will still be, I will still technically ovulate. In fact, already, I guess, when you have your fallopian tubes out, not just tied, but out, when you ovulate, the egg just 
goes into your body it like just like floats anywhere. around yeah and then your here. body reabsorbs it and whatever I just yeah. think that that's so funny and it's like the biggest cell in the human body right like it's visible with the naked eye mm-hmm. and it's just yeah. in there like oh no where do I go <laughs> it's just so silly um but so I am I'm I'm keeping my ovaries and so I will not need right. to take hormones or anything like that freaking awesome yeah. well I love that I I hope too that hearing about this experience of yours is educational for some people I hope um, so yeah, especially people who are maybe living with some pain or experiencing yeah. pain during sex and not understanding why. I mean, this 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 is one of the reasons, vulvodynia and, yeah. and these and other things. In case anyone out there is listening and experiencing pain with sex or whatever, it doesn't automatically mean like, oh my God, I need to have multiple surgeries about this. Like there are totally. a lot of things that I tried intermittently. There's different like topical things. There's a couple of different medications. It did a lot of pelvic PT that did help, just not all the way. Um, like there's, there's, a lot of reasons you can be having pain and there's a lot yeah. of treatment options for them. So I don't, I don't want to scare yep. anyone into being like, Oh my God, I need all these surgeries done. Um, but I am like so thankful for my vestibulectomy. It was, um, it was a, a relatively long recovery. It was about three to four months, but I, like so happy wow. that I did it. Like so yeah. happy. I like, I hope this is a hopeful story for people because there are a lot of options out there. Exactly. Exactly. That's the main takeaway. I hope people understand too. <laughs> okay. So rewinding a little bit, yes. you were talking about being affirmed, uh, you know, as a sex worker, so almost like realizing that you liked the idea of performance and stuff yeah. like that and being naked and all those things uh, when you were somewhat young. So did, did it also uh, validate your sexual identity and I'm curious like at which point and how did you discover your sexual identity how do you identify and same thing with uh, your gender as well so I the funny thing is and double hilarious uh they just I just did an interview for Hustler and it posted today they interviewed three people but I'm first and they pulled this quote first so like you open up this Hustler article and the first thing big in quotes Electra Rain I never really thought that I might be straight which is just like <laughs> such a funny thing. To, like, that's not why I ever thought I'd be in Hustler, but like, I'll take it. Thanks, Hustler. Love um, it. Love I it. I never really thought that I might be straight because I, it, like, it just never made sense to me to write off approximately half the population for something as simple as like gender or genitals or anything. But so I never like officially came out either. And I am like really thankful to come from like a super understanding and accepting family to the point where like, the way I came out to my mom was I was on just like a regular catching up with my mom phone call. And I was like, oh, like I met this girl at this talk I gave actually. Uh, and like, she's so cool. And we have a date for next week. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm so like, I would say anything like, oh, I met this guy. Blah, blah, blah. And she was happy right. for me. She didn't say anything weird. She, it wasn't until I got off the phone that I was like, oh, I guess I came out to my mom. Okay, like just <laughs> moving on. Um, so that was cool. Like, yeah. like I'm lucky that like my paternal grandma passed away in 2020, but thankfully that means she still got to know my wife for like two and a half years before she passed away, and like loved my wife. Like that's how like understanding and accepting my family is. My maternal yeah. grandma, who's still alive, I saw her in January because she still lives near Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. And she took my wife and I to dinner and asked all kinds of questions about number one, bisexuality and number two, polyamory, because she just like doesn't get it. Like she's not mad. Yeah. She just doesn't no. get it at all. She like number one, she doesn't understand like if you're married, 
doesn't that mean that you're like 100% committed to one person? Because I mentioned like I was dating this guy and he totally sucked and he got dumped. So she like didn't get it. And then she also, I guess she was confused because she had heard me say things like about, well, blah, 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 since I'm gay, blah, 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 blah. And didn't realize that like gay can be sort of an umbrella term in some context. So that was a very cute, like queer gay. Yes. Yes. And I want to say like my grandma, same thing, at least in the sense of like, so she's asking questions about transness and she's not and not like, well, I don't know about this. No, she's like, so what do I say in this situation? And, and just like she's she wants to say the right thing and she wants to make sure she's clear on it. And and I love those kinds of questions, you know, yeah. so here for it. That's so um, nice. My um, yeah, when they just want to understand, like that's yes. a big deal. Yes. Yeah. My dad's mom, before she passed away, I kind of fig- I figured out. I kind of think she actually may have been a lesbian. Like, I don't think she knew it. I don't think she was like purposefully in the closet. But I have a cousin who is non-binary and sapphic and a little Mm -hmm. bit younger than me, like early 20s, Um, Mm -hmm. three, maybe something like that. 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Um, And when my cousin had come out to our grandma, um, our grandma was like, well, you know, that's all fine and great if you are, but how do you know? Because, like, when I was young, I had crushes on my girlfriends all the time. And we're like, hmm, interesting. So then later, uh, my wife thought she was a lesbian for a very long time, has somewhat recently learned she is very technically bisexual, but has a very strong preference. But when, so, like, she thought she was a lesbian, and as far as my grandma knew, like, I was dating this lesbian. And we were on my annual family camping trip, Uh, And my grandma comes and sits on the porch with us and is like, hey, can I ask you guys some questions really specifically to my now wife? Um, And she's like, yeah, how did you know that you're a lesbian? Because when I was young, I had crushes on my girlfriends all the time. And it was always older girls and, 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 and it's like all these stories that are so beautiful. And when I look at the way, like my grandparents were married for more than 65 years, like until my grandma died all the time. But my grandpa was like pretty progressive for like a man of that time. Like my grandma worked her whole life. She was an author and she was an English teacher and she would travel and go to like writer's retreats and writer's conferences and all these things. And my grandma always talked about how much it meant to her that my grandpa would let her go and do these things at a time when like oh, the woman is leaving for four days and the man has to take care of all five kids? Like, oh, never. (laughs) So when I, and and she's told this story numerous times too about how like she didn't want to date my grandpa. She didn't really want to date anybody, but her mom convinced her to give him a chance. And so when I look back at like their lives, I really think that like she loved him like a friend and she loved the way that he supported her and she loved the life that they built together. Um, I actually think that she was gay. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just so heartbreaking. And I've told my dad this theory and he's like, maybe you're right. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, maybe you're right. I don't want to think about it. No, I don't have to. <laughs> exactly. So for you, it's it, it is more of a, just a general queerness. Yeah, it is, and I like I didn't necessarily use the term bisexual mm-hmm. until college, probably, and I never. But I think a lot of that was just like lack of exposure to queerness. Like I knew yeah. I wasn't straight, but there weren't 
honestly, I can only think of two out queer people at all from kindergarten through high school. Um, yeah. And one of them was this gay guy who was a friend of mine and like still is. We just don't keep in touch super often, not for yeah. any particular reason. And the other yeah. one was this lesbian who like, she was into me, but she was like a lot and kind of like <laughs> a bad girl, but like not in a hot way. And like, a no, like I'm scared you're actually going to get me in trouble way. Like not great. So like we made out a couple times or whatever in high school, but I was like, this doesn't feel great. And I always kind of yeah. felt like, and, and like, I knew I did also like guys and I had two pretty serious boyfriends in high school, actually with some mm-hmm overlap um and like obviously they knew about each other they are still friends to this day they and wow. my best Love friend it. from college have a book club now like literally they Hell like yeah. read books and they get together to talk about the books which is so funny when people are like yeah Love i don't understand anybody who stays friends with their exes i'm like mine have a book club like i don't know what to <laughs> tell you um but uh i so i just always kind of felt like like i never went to pride because i felt like it wasn't for me which like knowing now hmm. like now i very firmly feel like it is in fact i'm a vendor yeah. and a sponsor of las vegas pride in october this year um, yes. but if if someone like me from that time was saying to me now like yeah i'd love to go to pride but i just feel like it's not for me i'd be like that's not true like you shush like it is certainly for you etc yes um, yes and so i was just like i don't know like and lots of girls like to kiss girls and whatever. I don't know. And then when I got to college, I realized I wasn't cis. But that was sort of an interesting thing, too, um, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I first picked up on and identified as, like, trans or non-binariness actually was rooted in, um, like, internalized misogyny and I am certainly not Mm -hmm. trying to say that like anybody who has this experience is actually dealing with internalized misogyny I just like for me as I unpack things I realized like hmm is it actually that femininity feels completely wrong to me or is it that I have always been kind of a tomboy and internalized that like this is bad and this is bad and this is bad so I like Mm -hmm. unpacked a lot of that in college and then actually largely through my relationship with my now wife not exclusively but that was like a big motivating factor for it um I did end up exploring my gender in a lot more like like I used to say like I'm not a woman that's wrong like I'm either like genderless or like I kind of just like gender queer as an umbrella term but um I've realized more recently like in the last several years that like I don't think it's wrong to say I'm a woman it's just not the whole story like, oh my God. I'm so happy to hear this from you right now because this is what I've been, I don't even want to say like struggling with, but like considering a lot lately. Yeah. And I, I did say like, she, like I'm she, they pronouns. And like, I definitely don't get offended when I'm referred to as she, her, like it's fine. Yeah. Um, but it's just like you said, like there's like throughout my life, I've been, um, really like heavy into being a tomboy. Like when I was in elementary school, yeah. I was like, I'm the weirdo. I'm a tomboy you know, and then middle school, like, so ages like or grade six through nine was like, I just want to fit in because that's kind of like how things are during that time. <laughs> and then, you know, grade 10 was like, okay, now I want to be different. And then it was like, okay, we're going the full goth route. That's how we're going to be different. Um, but then, you know, like even in like the mid 2000s, I went through a phase where I was just like sneakers and baggy pants and big t-shirts. And like, that's what made me feel comfortable. And so it just feels like throughout my whole life, it's been this sort of play with gender. And I really identify as gender fluid for that reason. Um, But sometimes I get a little bit of like uh, that imposter syndrome. Like, is this 
for me? Like, am I allowed to feel this way? Yes, you are. Sounds dumb to say right now, but everything you're saying, I'm like really fucking resonating with. And I appreciate hearing you say it. I'm glad. Yeah. I just, for me, it's a lot of like, I don't know. Like, I, like, okay. So like part of me is like, well, women can do and be anything. So like, can't I just be a woman that's like really boyish or whatever? And like, yes, yeah. people certainly can be, but it doesn't feel like the whole story for me. And I remember like going back to those weird things I'd think about when I did that wiggling thing or whatever. Yeah. Of like, being experimented on to the point where like oh I have a dick now like I'm still me but I have a dick and that's like not a super cis thing to be fantasizing about actually yes Um, so now even like I I love my strap-ons I'm very big on strapping up but I have Mm -hmm. like not just different ones for different purposes but I I even have like like okay sometimes I want to like put on a strap on and fuck that way and sometimes I want to just have my dick and those are kind of different things to me and I even I have like I have soft packers and I have um I invested in and it was an investment but it's I have one that's not technically a strap on it's a dick prosthetic and they make them usually either for trans people or for people like amputees um and it has a hole yes so it's a stand to pee yes I use it it also um it has an erection rod so you can take the erection rod out and you can stand to pee and you can soft pack with it but you can also insert the erection rod and then you can fuck like with your same dick and it has like floating testicles like not just like the silicone mold but like you can move around in the balls a little and Uh, Oh my god! It's got flaps on it so that like you can wear it with a packing strap or in a harness. Um, but you can also use prosthetic adhesive and like fully glue it to yourself if you want to not have a strap with it. Wow! But I contacted them because they only make them in flesh tone colors, and that's just not me really. Like even like my dick, like my go to my dick is black mm-hmm, and blue mm-hmm. swirly, and then it's pierced because I'm also pierced. Um, so I contacted <laughs> them and I was like, hey. Totally get it if you can't do this. Um, but so like I'm gender queer, but my gender is like turquoise. Um, so you make me one that's turquoise, and they were like, We can try, we can't like we can guarantee like the craftsmanship, but we can't guarantee yeah. how well the color is gonna come out because we've never done it before. So they did yeah. like a swirl pour and it's like white and turquoise swirl, and it's beautiful. I love it so much. I honestly oh wish I used it more. Um, and then mm. my my dream sort of packing option that I'm still looking for and maybe you have a suggestion or maybe someone listening may and then you can message me on something and be like hey I have a that would be great Um, I have a soft packer that I love it's so comfortable it's like just the right weight that I want to have in my pants it's a beautiful turquoise color um, but I can't fuck with it because it's a soft packer and I would love like a sleeve like a sheath and I don't want it to be flesh toned um, it, can, yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to match, but like some sort of fantasy color, but like a sheath that I can put over it and then I can fuck with it. So I would like, I just have yes. to put on my erection real quick and then I can. Fuck yes. With it. That's my, that's, that's my love- next thing I'm hoping to find. Yes. I love that concept. Like just being able to drop your pants and yeah. put something extra on or like pull it out and yeah, you're hard as enough to fuck. You like put on a condom. I can just yeah, put exactly. on my erection sheath and I'm good to go. Yes. Erection selection. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Oh, it's so good. So uh, are you exclusively they, them pronouns or what are your pronouns? Good question. Um, I used to say any pronouns and it is true that like I'm not 
any pronouns said with respect are not going to offend me. Um, yeah. But it's also just not, to me, it doesn't matter all that much um, because yeah. Like, I know who I am. And I also, like, yes. I do a lot of, like, I've always considered sex work to be, like, paid gender performance art. Um, oh, my God, yes. So, so even, like, it, I, since I started the website especially, I have talked a lot about, a lot more about, like, my queerness and my gender. But for a long time, I was like, I am genderqueer, but Electra Rain is cis, which is maybe right. becoming less true, actually. Yeah. So I, I mostly use she, her pronouns because it's what people use for me anyway. And it's not yeah. important enough to me to introduce the level of like confusion and correction and things like that. But I'm yeah, also certainly totally. not offended or bothered when people use anything else for me. That is so fucking spot on. And that that's basically exactly how I feel. <laughs> like I do want to just go on there and be like, honestly, any pronouns, yeah. any, because because, yeah, it's just so I want to celebrate them all. I want to validate other people. And I and I want to just be like, I'm fine with whatever you want to call me, because like I probably identify with it in many different ways. Right. Like <laughs> there certainly is a day that I've felt that way. So go right ahead. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, and I just I love it. I love the celebration of it all. The diversity. It just it brings me so much joy. And um, very, very happy about all those things. So we did put a pin in the stripper conversation oh, for a yeah, second. Yeah. I do want to go back to that because being a stripper is like a big part of sex work. It was definitely part of my life, my introduction to sex work. I love how you said, um, you know, your 18th birthday, you call, you contact a kink. Like it actually, like just before my 18th birthday, I was calling the strip club and be like, okay, so when I turn 18, what do I have to do to come to come down there? And and they're just like, you're not 18 yet? And I was like, well, no, but I will be soon. And they're like, yeah, call back when you're 18. Right. <laughs> I was like, now I'm an adult. I understand. Yeah. I remember at the time, because we're talking 2001, late 2001. And I was like $50. I got paid $50. And oh my God, I was like, wow, the, all I had to do was just sit there and play with my tits while this dude jerked off. Like, and I got 50 bucks. I'm so into this. Like, <laughs> but I definitely always wanted to work in a club. I started a club when I was 19 and just like fumbled through the whole thing myself, like a little Bambi, like <laughs> making mistakes and falling on my face and uh, figuring it out. So I'm curious, like at what stage in your sex work journey did you dance? Yeah. Or what was it like in the beginning for you? Tell me about this, like not getting hired at certain places oh or God. whatever, because that sure. that seems crazy. Um, thank you. Stripping <laughs> is and was one of the best things to ever happen to me. It was such an important part of who I am that like, even though I've been, I danced regularly, like it was my full-time job um, from 2016 through 2019. And I still occasionally, like a handful of times a year will dance, but it's like, wild to me like I didn't really even ever imagine it not being such a huge part of who I am like being a stripper and I guess now more broadly being a sex worker is a bigger mm -hmm. more important piece of my identity than being genderqueer is like I yeah. will be loud about like because of the what it, the amount that it means to me about my bisexuality yeah. and being a sex worker before my gender identity I'm like well yeah I know that but it's not as important that you know that yeah for, for me yep, yep. um I so I started stripping, um, again, when I was really young, I did not think I was hot enough to like 
be a stripper or anything like that. Like you have to be, you know, like magic supermodel hot to be a stripper. No, um, my God. You hadn't been to a strip club yet then. No, I, I had not. I was 18. <laughs> there was, when I was in college, there was this woman, uh, her name's Puran, and she went to UC Berkeley, which is where my then boyfriend was going to school. We were like started dating in high school and then I went to Northwestern mm-hmm. and he went to UC Berkeley. Um, okay. and I was curious about what college you went to. So I went to Northwestern. <laughs> um, okay. So she, UC Berkeley has a weekly column in their school newspaper called Sex on Tuesday. And every semester, it's a different student who writes it. When I first got booked for porn, um, December 2015, Intersec flew me out to shoot two scenes. And then the following spring, they had me come back for a couple more. So that spring trip, I also booked a bunch of photographers and all kinds of things. And I, so I went out there um, and I stayed there for like two or three weeks while I was simultaneously doing like sexy work and doing research at the library at UC Berkeley for my internship um, for my like non-sex work stuff. And so- Wait, I do want to ask real quick, what yeah. was your degree? What, did, what was the I have degrees in physics and linguistics. I went to school to be a forensic scientist. And at the time what? I was doing um, linguistic research for a company that- does um, interview and interrogation training. So I was doing, like, basically the reason they had me come on was they were all, like, retired cops and investigators. And honestly, a big part of why I don't work in forensics anymore is I couldn't fucking work with cops anymore. Yeah, girl. (laughs) They were all, like, retired cops and investigators that knew what worked but didn't know, like, the scientific or linguistic basis of why it worked. So they brought me right. on and like put me through all their training and stuff to help them with their new revised textbook. So I could say like, here's the actual like linguistic feature that's happening when you do this or whatever. Right, right. Okay, um, very interesting. Yeah. yeah, and UC Berkeley has like a really great linguistics department and a really great linguistics library. Northwestern has a great yeah. department too, but it's much smaller. So the like library resources are fewer. Pretty much anything yeah. I needed from Northwestern, I could access digitally while at UC Berkeley versus like nice. Berkeley had like original papers that are like, you can check them out for one hour at a time physically in the library. Oh, wow. like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so Puran Maribon was writing sex on Tuesday column at that time she was a student and also a stripper and like wrote about her experiences stripping in San Francisco while going to college and I Mm -hmm. loved her articles they were so good so I reached out to her and I was like hey here's who I am I'm not a stripper but like I do porn and a lot of what you wrote about being like a student and a sex worker like really resonated with me and is similar to my experiences I would love to take you to lunch sometime while I'm in town and she was like oh Uh, I'd love to go to lunch with you. Also, my roommates and I have a spare bedroom if you want to stay with us. So I did. Uh, She was amazing. She like changed my whole life. She's so cool. Um, And she, while I was there, we were talking about like her club and whatever. And I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Like, wish I could be a stripper. And she's like, you could. And I'm like, what? And she's like, seriously, you can't. (laughs) She did my makeup. Uh, I literally did not even recognize myself. I don't think I had ever worn foundation before. Um, I had never done top eyeliner. I had never worn lashes. Like she did my makeup. I was like, whoa. And I took the train. We were staying in Oakland. I took the train into San Francisco by myself and I auditioned at her club and I did not get hired, but I did get a $10 tip on the side stage during my audition, which like Mm -hmm. years later that ended up being the first club I ever went to as a customer, just like weird full circle thing. Um, Yeah. And I like that was a gold club in San Francisco. Okay. And I never 
like that doesn't side stage $10 tips don't really happen there. So it was a big deal. And I loved the yeah. environment and I loved the dressing room and I loved the strippers. And I was like, I am going home and I'm going to do this. And I just started auditioning yes. at clubs until one would happen. Like I just, I rented a car because I didn't have a car and I drove around yeah. Chicagoland and all the strip clubs in Chicago are like really spaced out. It's not like, like in San Francisco yeah. on Broadway, it's literally like eight of yeah. them in a row. This is not that. Yeah. This is like I'm Condense. driving around hours between clubs. Yeah. So auditioning everywhere. And finally one of them was like you can work day shift and I was like I can't work day shift I'm in college can I just do even like uh, slow nights and they're like fine slow nights and I very quickly became that club's top earner and like graduated to a better club but it was Electra it was, I yeah. just why 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 do you think uh, that you well, were I, getting rejected um tattoos are one of them uh, or one reason. I also, I, I mean, wasn't. I you do have some, but. And, like and I didn't have as covered. many. That I didn't have this one and I didn't have this one. So. So uh, she's pointing to her arm and her oh, side. Yes, my, <laughs> my, my Chicago flat tattoo uh, and then my flowers on my ribs. I didn't have those. Um, yeah. But I, also, I wasn't as hot as I am now. I have, I can send <laughs> you afterwards a picture from my first night dancing and I have done in the past a side-by-side with like after two years dancing or something and there's yeah. definitely more like physical changes um and then okay. aside from that I don't really know because to this day it's really hard for me to get hired a year ago wow. when I was still trying to dance semi-regularly I paid a makeup artist I paid Ellie Rubenstein like the makeup artist of wow. Vegas to do my makeup for these club auditions because I don't wear like a lot of makeup typically but I figured yeah. they're going for like Instagram model vibes so I paid her to do right. my makeup and I went and I auditioned at 12 strip clubs and I got hired at one and put on day shift at one like oh my god I think it's because especially in Vegas but this is not specific to Vegas um hiring managers and also casting directors do not mm. have the same taste as the actual patrons. So like yes. Crazy Horse 3 put me on day shift only, which for if you're not strip club people, that means like you're not really hot enough to work here, but we'll like yeah. kind of give you a chance during the slow shift. And yeah. um, Crazy Horse 3 is a 24-hour club. So day shift is 5 a.m. through 9 p.m. And they told me when I auditioned that actually if you show up at 5 a.m., sometimes it's still really good from people that are like still the there and already drunk from the night before. So it's yeah. none of that like, oh, let me have a few drinks. It's like people who are ready to go. The managers yeah. and the hosts, their shift was midnight to 8 a.m. So when I would get there at 5, I had three hours of overlap with the hosts who had been working night shift. And every single time I went in, one or two, there were two who said this all the time, different hosts would be like, oh, my God, where were you all night? All night I had guys looking for thick girls. They're like, bring me a girl with an ass. Bring me a girl with hips. Bring me a girl with thighs. And we did not have enough of them. And I'm like, well, talk to your boss and let me yeah. work my shift. And one of them even did. He was like, look, man, like, She's a porn star. She has like a known following. She's like very slim, thick, right? She's got 40 yeah. inch hips, like blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no. So I think some Ugh. of it's a power trip thing. And some of it is just like these managers think that like, okay, well, they came of age in 1998 or 2001 when heroin chic was in and so that's what yes. they think is hot uh and that means yep. that must be the only thing anybody thinks is hot ever and is like we can for real it's certainly not the yes. case Yes. Oh my God. No. And also, man, I mean, just to say again about this whole lens of perfection, whatever that means, but like, I have these people who are like, man, 2016, I don't know what really happened, but I gained a bunch of weight and it kind of fell off in 2018, you know, 19. And I still have people who are like, man, 
I miss when you were a lot bigger. They're like, I liked you better like that, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not trying to do this. Like, I'm just kind of living my life. I'm eating what I feel like eating. I'm trying to, you know, generally be healthy, but I'm not like out there hitting the gym and stuff. So I'm just like, my body's just doing what it's doing. But, you know, it's a thing where like, we would look at ourselves in the mirror and be like, hey, all this stuff, you know, and then people are just appreciating the fuck out of it. Uh, but yeah, it's the same thing with, with those managers. Sometimes I agree. It is kind of like a weird power trip thing. And like I had worked in all these strip clubs of Southern California and I never had an issue getting hired and stuff. Then I did some trips. Uh, this is back in the mid 2000s. And I was coming out to these clubs in like Detroit. And I had a couple that were like, mm, you could work day shift. Yeah. And I was like, why? And they're like, I think one of them was like, your glasses and your skin is too pale and you don't have big boobs or whatever. And I was like, wow, those are terrible reasons. Right. What? <laughs> like I like, and again, it would just be that thing of like this one manager, this one hiring person right. feels like there isn't an audience for that. And, and that's the thing too, is I feel like that's also how porn production has historically been also until the sort of democratization happened with having your own clip stores and, and OnlyFans really kicking it off. But it's like, you know, they'd be like, well, we're not hiring this model because she's too big in these areas physically right. or whatever, something like that. And it's just like, oh, okay, cool. Cause she doesn't need you to hire her because she's out here making fucking bank on yeah. OnlyFans. Like, so suck it. Like, <laughs> like I, I hate that they are like sort of the gatekeepers of mainstream porn as well. Um, because I think it's very obvious that there are just such a wide variety of tastes yeah. for consumers and patrons and clients and all of these things. So I, I am happier now that there is this bigger access to making your own stuff and that people can see the things they really want to be seeing and stuff like that. But it does suck. Uh, the, uh, the strip club thing, man. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially when, you know, you can make the money, you can yes. bring the money, you can make yourself money and like it go all around, but there's love strip clubs, love strippers all day long. Um, but the management and all the other bullshit about it. It's like, I think all strip clubs should be run by women. Yeah. People who have had the experience. People who understand what it's like. Yeah. Not don't. just women, but former dancers, hundred percent. Yeah, just former former dancers specifically. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I've had women managers before that were not former dancers, yes. and they're just as bad as the dudes. So, <laughs> yes. yeah, former dancers would really change the landscape. Yes, of uh, working at a strip club and just uh, the morale, certainly, and all of those things. Yeah, one hundred percent. I have a whole list actually. I just pulled it up that. Oh, I haven't edited it since 2021. That's like things I would do if I ran my own strip club, like how I would run my own strip club. Yes. Not that I'm ever yes. planning on strip club, but. You know what? Give us like a, a 10, 15 years. Let's revisit this conversation okay. and see if we can't make a good strip club. That would be pretty uh, cool. Somewhere in the country. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, I have taken up so much of your time already and I would love to have you for just a few more minutes yeah, so we no can problem. answer a question from. The fans, Ooh, yeah. the listeners. So we're actually going to have two questions. So the first one is from Wanted More in Missouri. Okay. Do you have multiple partners in your relationship? If so, how do you manage that and or how have you seen others approach 
polyamory. And this is a great conversation because we kind of were talking about this with regards to you and your relationship. That is a great mm. question. Also, uh, yeah. wanting more love Missouri. My horse is from Missouri. His name is Missouri. He's a Missouri fox trotter. Mm-hmm. So love everything about Missouri. It's beautiful in the spring. It totally there. is. Spring and summer. Love yes. it. Um, currently, no, I do not have multiple partners, largely just out of like a like I'm busy. Um, I was yeah. I, like I have my wife. Um, and then I was I was seeing this guy for a few months last year and he got dumped. Like I don't just mean like, oh, it didn't work out. Like I tried really hard, he got dumped. But I certainly have in the past, right? Like so that and like all the way back to when I was I think I was 17 when I started the two boyfriends thing. And it, we I had two years of overlap. Like I dated the one guy for two years and then I started dating the other guy and I was dating them both for two years. And then the first guy and I broke up for reasons not related to the second boyfriend. We just were not a good fit anymore, but are still friends. Uh, And then I dated the other guy for another two years and then we broke up. Um, And honestly, I'm really proud too of how well we all handled that. Like going back in time, there's a couple things I'd change knowing what I know now as a poly adult, but like, yeah. We knocked it out of the park. Like our communication and like respect was, I feel like better than I see in a lot of adult one-on-one relationships to say nothing of the fact that we were teenagers experimenting with polyamory for the first time. So go us, well done. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I think really the most important thing when you're managing multiple partners um, is, and like it's going to sound cliche, but right, but it's communication and uh, especially of expectations. So making sure everybody sort of understands like, you know, like, like if you, so for example, if you have a primary partner, which like, I'm not the kind of person that like needs to have a primary, but just by virtue of the fact that like I am married and we live together and we have animals together and we share finances and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's going to end up right. Like if I pick up a new partner, at least for a while, it's going to be, I have a primary relationship and an adjunct relationship. Um, And I think like, just on making sure everybody sort of understands what that whole dynamic is. And so nobody has mm-hmm. unrealistic or unfair expectations is really important. And then also, yeah. I feel like I have a very specific view on this because my wife is not inherently poly. She had always been like pretty monogamous. And so a lot of this mm-hmm. is pretty new for her. And there is mm-hmm. certainly like a level of understandable concern and anxiety that comes with that. Um, yeah. And so what I've learned from that, and I think that this is true for everybody, it's just so highlighted for me, is making sure, you know, like if and when you have new or additional partnerships, that your existing partnerships still feel loved and seen and heard and validated. And so even like yes. having a conversation about like, what does checking back in after a date with somebody else look like? What are right. the sort of expectations of communication as far as like, oh, you met someone new, like when and how should they be informed? What are things that you can Mm -hmm. do to make sure your existing partner or partners are still feeling like they're an important priority to you? And the answers to those questions are going to be different for everybody, which is why it's just great to be having those types of check-ins all the time. Also, probably the best advice I can give for any type of relationship is to have like a recurring scheduled time that you do check-ins. My wife and I started couples therapy um, shortly before we moved to Vegas because we were having some like pretty significant stresses and tension connected to the stress of moving. Um, But we have kept it up ever since, even though things are like not like that anymore. And just having like, number one, we love our couples therapist. She's amazing. But also 
just having that like scheduled like oh right every week we have this time and we check in about like how are things going for real like for real because it's so easy to be like hey here's a problem and you talk about it and then you don't check in on it again for a month or something and one person is like cool we talked about it the problem is all the way better and the other person is like well, we started talking about it, but now I feel like we're just kind of ignoring the problem. So having those like dedicated, like this is when we check in on things uh, is really helpful no matter what your relationship style is. Yeah, I love that as a tool um, and agree completely. (laughs) It's so important. And I think couples counseling too. I mean, I think all therapy has just been so negatively stigmatized that if you tell people like, oh yeah, we're in couples counseling, they're like, (gasps) oh, What happened? My wife's dad is one of those. He's like, oh, what? Like you're, we had mentioned it. Like he was in town for our wedding, I think. Uh, Yeah. He's like, oh, what? Like, are you sure about this wedding? And blah, blah, blah. No, yes, we are. In fact, like this is part of how we know we're so sure. Right. Exactly. And that's what I think too is like, like healthy people get therapy also, as well as people that are maybe struggling with their mental health. I mean, I think it's just upkeep. I think it's just checking in, even if you're doing it by yourself and you're just checking in with yourself. Cause we go through life and we have these like sort of emotional calluses. Like sometimes we don't even recognize what's going on with us yeah. and stuff. So it's always good and, and healthy and therapeutic. Um, that is a hundred percent true. And also I always tell people like, even if you think, you know, things are going well, you don't need therapy. You don't want to, and, and I've been in therapy since I was 11. Like my wife and I still see our individual therapists in addition to couples therapy. Yeah. Um, you don't want to get to a place where suddenly, God forbid, something horrible happens, a loss of a loved one, an unexpected job change, a physical injury, like something mm-hmm. really bad happens. But mm-hmm. in order, a breakup you really weren't expecting, like, but in order to, so then you're like, okay, now I do need therapy. Like I'm really struggling, going to need some right. therapy. But in order to even get to working on the new acute issue, you have to both develop rapport with this therapist, like make sure they're a good fit, make sure you Mm -hmm. trust them, make sure you guys are on the same page and go through all the background of everything that led you there. So that's why, like I always tell people, even if things are going really well, like see your therapist every other week, see your therapist once a month, month. like just a once in a while. And then that way, if and when something happens, you can just be like, Hey, you know what? I think I need to see you more frequently right now, but you've already done all the pre-work and you can get right into whatever the situation at hand may be. Exactly. Nailed it. That's amazing. And yeah, just your insight with your particular relationship, I think, answered the question really well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at least from from my perspective, you know, I am I am do not have multiple like emotional partners, relationship partners. Um, you know, we we invite thirds into our bed sometimes, um, and that's pretty much where it stays. I mean, we're we're almost always friends with them. They're almost always industry people, and we have a good time. And that's part of the reason why I'm I love doing it with industry people is because it's like we have the same sort of mindset about sexuality and like relationships yeah. and professionals and like w- what that all means and so it's there's like zero expectations of like further communication like we all get the rule you know what i mean like yeah. so we haven't had to deal with any of that sort of more complicated stuff um but i have witnessed other people attempting to do poly and just um 
just failing all over the place. So, you know, there's a lot of things of what you shouldn't do. And, you know, I think like when you do enter, it has to be a really strong communicative um, conversation that has to take place, whether it's between the two primaries or between everyone involved. And it has to be like a setting of ground rules and then like an adherence to those ground rules, a, a strict adherence to those ground rules. And the second those things start slipping up, it has to be like, okay, we're all getting back together and we're talking about this again and we're talking about our feelings and we're not swallowing our feelings down and keeping quiet about them because we just want the other person to be happy or we just want, we don't want to cause a stink or whatever the case may be. It's like, no. Yeah, that (laughs) was uh, how that recent boyfriend ended up dumped was an inability to communicate his own feelings time and time and time again. And I was like, this is not, this is causing problems. Not not going to work out. Yeah. And, and again, like, you know, this is my assumption, but you're, you're, you're married. Like I, from my angle, your marriage has to be like the priority. And if the third person is like, um, just wedging in, in ways that are like causing problems because of their inability to talk and, and communicate, like, bye. (laughs) Right. Actually, I think kind of what happened with him was he was like so concerned of getting in the way of our existing relationship that he would then Mm -hmm. just not communicate when like something felt not good or not right to him. But then he would like act out and be shitty because he was upset, but he wouldn't say like, hey, I'm upset. Can we talk about this? Or even the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back with him was a situation where all he needed to do was say like, hey, I'm feeling weird because of this. I think I need a little bit of space. And that would have yeah. been totally fine. But instead yeah. what he did was was just weird and would like be normal with me and then ignore me for three days and like do all yes. this like, weird yo-yo stuff. Because um, oh. he couldn't just say to me like, hey, I think I yeah. need a little space. And when I told him like, I wrote, I was off on my honeymoon and I was like, this yeah. is like, ah, this is why this is upsetting me. We're gonna have to talk when I get back. And I got back yes. and I sat him down and I'm like, here's my list so I don't forget anything um, to like teach you why this was hurtful to me. And I'm like, number one, yeah. this thing. And like, it was weird how you weren't talking to me and it hurt me. And he's like, oh, I know. I just like, I was feeling weird about this. So I needed some space. And I, and I said, um, oh, uh, okay, that's fine. Maybe you could have said, hey, I feel weird about this. I think I need some space. And he said, and this is the moment I knew it wasn't going to work. And he said, no, because that would have given me anxiety to say that. Uh. Right. So instead, <laughs> I needed to play guessing games for a week and a half or whatever. I was like, no. uh-uh, uh-uh. If you, you get to have the anxiety. Right. You exactly. get to have the anxiety exactly. instead of him. Exactly. And I'm like, okay, if you can't just simply, like, I am not asking for you to have felt any differently about the situation. You just needed to yes. communicate your feelings that she had a pattern yep. of not doing. So it didn't work out. Right. And so that everything you just described to me, that's passive aggressiveness. And my ex was basically that way. And he would just stop talking to me for three days and I would have no idea why. And I would be freaking out. Like I would come at him and like, I'm trying to get him to tell me what's wrong and talking to him. And then I build myself up until I'm like, weeping loudly and like punching him in the chest and like tell me you know just because like he fucking wouldn't and that's yeah I mean, obviously the relationship fell apart but it lasted way longer than it needed to but but I so I've learned a lot about what it means to truly be passive aggressive and, and almost like have passive aggressive personality disorder to the point where it's just like you use this as like a weapon against people and like mm-mm, it can be so toxic like don't be like that people yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> you just have to say it. Okay. All right. And so here's the other one, which we kind of did already talk about this a little bit, or we touched on it. Um, so this is from Not Every Time in New York. How often do you come when having sex? Is it normal not to orgasm? So I can kind of tell that this is from a somewhat younger person. Um, a lot of people like to ask this question, is it normal, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whatever it is you're asking, yes. See, <laughs> I actually don't probably like that normal. I don't like that answer. I uh, started reading the book Come As You Are a little while ago. And oh, yeah. I amazing. No, I stopped reading it. Um, because oh. <laughs> she takes that same approach. Whatever you're going to say, whatever you're going to ask me, it's totally normal. And I don't think that's always true. I was reading okay. it as someone who has a history of chronic pelvic pain and is trying to figure things out. And of no, course, having yeah. chronic pelvic pain is not normal. It doesn't mean that you Absolutely can't not. have a fulfilling sex life or like any of these things, but it doesn't mean you're normal or it doesn't mean that you're normal. And I think this insinuation that like it's normal no matter what sometimes leads to people thinking like, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. So, well, in you're this right. case, I would say, yeah, absolutely, totally normal to not be coming all the time. I don't come yes. unless I, I'm actually secondary or anorgasmic. So I can give mm -hmm. me an orgasm through very, very specific masturbation, but nobody else mm -hmm. can give me an orgasm. And I promise you, it is not for a lack of trying. It's not that I haven't been of with course. the right people. I am quite literally yes. a professional. Um, it's an intersection <laughs> of a bunch of health stuff. And totally. that's okay. It doesn't mean I don't have greater fulfilling sex. Um, my best male partner that I ever had also routinely does not come from sex. It's very rare yeah. for him to come from through sex. Doesn't mean yeah. he doesn't love sex. Doesn't mean he wasn't good at sex. He was great at sex. So in, in this particular case, totally normal, super normal. But I actually yes. do hesitate about the blanket statement of whatever you're going to say, it's normal. Is normal. Yeah. And I, I guess that was obviously that answer is insensitive to people who have medical issues. So I did not mean to insinuate no, the like no, no, the fine. medical issue thing. And I'm not personally offended either. My concern is yeah, more yeah. just like when you have those people who are like, man, you know, like my pussy does kind of hurt when I do this. Like, is that yeah. normal? Like, I don't right. want someone to think like, uh, like I did for 14 years. But that's that, like, normal. Yeah. Having a vagina just sucks and hurts all the time. Oh my God. No, 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 no. So definitely like physical pain with sex. That's not normal. Right. But so, not coming all the time. Sure. Super normal. Really normal. So, um, so yeah, definitely that's, that's the thing. How, so how often do you come when having sex and is it normal so it is totally normal not to orgasm yeah. and usually like people with um you know uh, vulvas have are less likely to have orgasms during sex than people or at least cis men using their dicks in a cis men way like they tend to have an orgasm like 90 something percent of the time you know cis women and women uh vulva owners probably have an orgasm maybe somewhere between like 40 and 60% of the time. But like oh. when it's sapphic, when it's <laughs> like girl on girl stuff, it jumps up to like 80% of the time. So that that's been some statistics have been floating around for the past few years. That's just like, okay, there's something called the orgasm gap. And like men get to fucking come almost every time. And women are just like, well, I guess I just don't. And it's fine. And I, I identify with that because that's definitely how things were for me in the beginning. Um, and then once I like explored my body enough to understand like what I needed, but even then, if I was having sex with people that I was not in a long-term relationship with, it was still kind of like almost 
more performative and I would, or I'd still get, even if it wasn't that, it was like, I would still receive all kinds of pleasure, but I wasn't having an orgasm Yeah, uh, because of that. It just either we didn't have a Hitachi there or vibrator or like um, they just didn't know my body well enough. But also I never used to feel super entitled to an orgasm. And even sometimes I think would feel like, yeah, it's harder for me to get there without these like aids. So it's fine if I don't come kind of a thing, you know, I, I think that that's really has a lot to do with mindset. So it, so I want to say it this way is like, I prefer for all parties involved to be enthusiastically trying to help each other to achieve orgasm. But with that said, I don't think it's always necessary. So, you know, there has to be some room in the middle where it's like, we're not trying so hard that we're like then putting pressure on the other person. And now they're even less likely to have an orgasm, but it should be like, I would like for you to have one. If you are done at any point, you can just tap out and say, I'm good. Go ahead and come or, or whatever, you know, again, it's just that communication thing. But for, um, you know, especially for people with vulvas, you know, I always want to encourage them if they have not tried a Hitachi magic wand or a doxy, please start there. If, if you've been trying all kinds of different things and you're not able to get there and you have not tried that, please, please, please try that. Um, I was on a podcast like many years ago, several years ago with someone who was a, a woman who was on a journey to have her first orgasm. And we talked about a whole bunch of different things. And I was just like, have you not tried this? And she was like, I haven't. And I'm like, well, I would like for you to try it. And I didn't hear back until years later. And I'm not sure if that's what did it, but she did eventually have one. Yay. But I just think exploring with different, you know, sizes and angles of penetration with different uh, levels of vibration. Like some people prefer a light buzzy vibration. I like a lower rumbly vibration. Like sometimes vibration is too intense. Sometimes you can have it on high and it's still not enough. I mean, our bodies are just all so different, but I do, you know, if you are having sex with someone who is not even curious about your orgasm, not even advocating for it or putting in the effort, I think you should be either having a very deep conversation with them about that, that they need to be focused on your needs as well, or you can get rid of that person and go get yourself a Hitachi magic. <laughs> yeah. I'd also like to add too that, um, sex definitely just doesn't have to be about orgasms. Like for me, yeah. I, I don't like to frame sex that way. And I'm sure a lot of that comes from the fact that like, I'm someone who's really difficult to have an orgasm, but I think yeah. putting pressure on it, the like, ah, oh, everybody's got to come can make it a yeah. lot harder sometimes. And also like, I yes. just sort of think of it as like, my goal in sex is to make my partner or partners feel good. And if that means an orgasm yeah. happens in there, fuck yeah, great. I hope it was a great orgasm. And if it doesn't, that's perfectly fine. Like my, my goal is yeah. not to make you come. My goal is to make you feel good. However, that's yeah. going to manifest and whatever is going to be best for your body. Yep. Basically ditto. <laughs> Cause I think like sex just, it is a fun thing to do and it does feel good. And like, 
if you are overly focused on the orgasm again, that that can just keep you from even getting there and make it more difficult. And it may it might make you just want to give up on sex. And it's like there's so much that happens with sex and through sex that is uh, important, valuable experience to have and pleasure to receive that just isn't the, the orgasm part. And I think when especially um, when people focus like only on the orgasm and getting there, then it often is also like a let's get there as fast as we can. And that was something else about like sex with my previous with my ex from back in the day that was just always about like, I'm going to go down on you and get you off as fast as I can. Then I'm going to fuck you in this one position until I come. And that was sex. And it was so boring. And that's the thing. It's like, so yeah, we both had orgasms, but it was so boring. So that that's that's another way of looking at it too. Like have fun with it. Make it not boring. And then if the orgasm happens, like, yay. And if not, that's okay too. Like <laughs> yeah. I think that's like how you have good sex, not being super orgasm focused. Hundred percent. But I would like for you know her to have one or this person to have one <laughs> if if they can and want one. So yeah. Get that wand. Get that magic wand. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, it has been such an absolute delight. Um, just amazing uh, guests to have on and educational and informative. Thanks. And I love hearing about your stories. Thank so you. thank you so much for being for being on the podcast. Of and course. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Please tell everyone where they can find you and your stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. So my website, like all about me and my links, and there's a shop with some merch and things like that, um, is just chicagoslut.com because it's easy to remember uh -huh. and it's easy to spell. Electrorain.net will take you to the same place. But Chicago Sluts, easy to remember, easy to spell. Um, and then, of course, my website, my studio that I direct for is QueerCrush.com. So go check out the website. And uh, we love feedback, like honest, true, real feedback. So let us know what you think. Yay. Awesome. And uh, on like Twitter and Instagram, you just Electra Rain. I'm Electra Rain on Twitter and Electra from Chicago on Instagram. It's Electra with a C and Rain is R-A-Y-N-E. But again, if you go to that chicagoslot.com, it'll have links at the bottom to all of my everything. Perfect. Perfect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. Amazing guest. And everyone else who's listening, we need your questions here at the podcast. So please feel free if you have any questions about sex, relationships, pornography, behind the scenes porn stuff that you're interested in hearing about, all those things, please send them to sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. You spell sin with two N's. Hopefully you know that by now. And you might hear your question answered by me and one of my lovely guests. And that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please spread the word about this podcast wherever you can. And thank you again. And get out there and live authentically. Woo!